Welcome to the Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. Diego, what's up, dude? Super excited for today's podcast. We have the GOAT, Steve Rosenberg. Super excited. Yeah, man, I am very excited as well. We're going to get some really good information on the mental side so that people can take action and not let certain excuses or certain situations determine their future. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because in the in, in the podcast, I made a joke. I was like, hey, guys, if you want a free lesson from Steve Rosenberg, start a podcast and then have him on the podcast. <laughs> because I felt like he was talking to me about some of the things that I needed to change in my business and in, in what I do. Uh, and the guy is just full of knowledge, full of wisdom uh, from the mistake that he's made in the past, you know, investing, picking his why. Uh, it, it's super good podcast for today. I can't wait to have him on. So without any other further ado, Steve Rosenberg, guys. Steve, welcome to the show, bro. Seriously, it's an honor to have you in Rat Race to Five podcast. This is one that I'm really looking forward to, especially because you've blown up on social media, but I really want the followers to get to know who Steve is, right? We all know that Steve is this amazing real estate guy. You have a great book out. I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but but let's find out who Steve is on the inside. You know, Are you a mushy, big, strong dude? Are you, are, are you mean? To, I mean, who are you? I mean, seriously, we want to get to know who you are. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having me on today. Um, you know, it's funny. I always tell people I'm like an onion. I've got so many layers. You keep pulling stuff back and you're like, you do that and you've done this. And so I, I have many different angles and layers to myself, but I'm happy to I'm happy to peel away as many as you guys want. Thanks for having me today. And I'm happy to share who I am and what I've done uh, at this point in my life. And, and hopefully it'll help, you know, some other people as, as they go through the trials and tribulations that, that we've all been through. Um, or will be going through at some point in our lives. Well, I, I don't know if everyone's been through it. I read your book, um, and, and in your book, you talk about a huge, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned from your book. Some mistakes that I was actually doing when I first started when we talked, I think probably about six, seven months ago. So your book is really interesting, and we're going to dig into that. But let's get a 30,000 foot view, and then we're going to dig in. Uh, what does your portfolio look like now? What do you do? Um, I, I know you, I know that's a loaded question, but what do you do? Um but yeah, tell us tell us who Steve is right now, and then I'm gonna dig into like let's let's go back. Yeah, sure. So if if we were to look at who I am today, uh, I've got a portfolio. I've divested a lot of my single family properties. So I probably have about a maybe a dozen or so single family. I'm more into uh, passive deals, so I'm involved in a very large self storage uh, operation up in Idaho, um, a mobile home park fund as well with some other people that we know. Uh, and, and I, I kind of lend money to people and, and do that kind of, uh, more, more of a secondary level investor, I guess you could say. Uh, I also, uh, I do, as you know, I do mentoring, coaching and help people. And I speak all over the, the country. Um, that's starting to ramp up again now as well. Um, but I kind of, I guess my skill set is really looking at things from another angle that most people don't look at. It's probably, I say the same things other people do. I think I just put it in a different set of terms. And I think a lot of that is because of my background of how I got into this industry, uh, how I've stayed into the industry and, and kind of where it's um, pro projected me on from where I started to where I am is not the st 
standard route, I guess you could say, that most investors take. Um, and so I think it gives me a different perspective as well as my, my nine to five career of what I do also gives me a different perspective and a different way of looking at things. Now, what do you do for your nine to five? Uh, I'm an airline pilot. Uh, actually, as we speak right now, I'm in Santiago, Chile. Uh, so I fly a 787, Boeing 787 internationally around the world. Uh, so I, just like many other people probably watching this, I have a job. I have a career. Um, I don't live this pie in the sky dream that I just do real estate. Um, I don't think that that would fulfill me if I just did that. Uh, so I have a job that I love doing, but as, as we can talk and as you read in my book, it's a job and I realize it's a job and it can be removed. I can be removed or downsized or, you know, anything at any point, um, which was what a big driving force for me was to even get into real estate was because of a certain date in history that happened that caused me to realize that a safe, secure job is really not that safe and it's not secure. And that's what caused me to, to really re rethink my life and where I was going with it. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> reading your book, and I hope I get the timeline correct, uh, you were a pilot and then you were let go, right? You were, you were let go. Um, you thought, I mean, you had made it. You thought you were, you were, you were kosher. You were just going to coast. Um, probably would have been a great time to read that book, uh, who, who moved my cheese or whatever that book is called about the little, have you read it? I read, I read it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably would have been a good time wow. to read it, but tell us that story. What happened? Because I, I know getting to become a, a pilot one, it's not easy. Uh, I think it's like less than a percent actually. It's something ridiculous. I looked it up before this yeah. uh, interview. It's really, really hard. The testing is and all that. Um, but tell us that story. What happened? Because because from what I what I read, they let you go. Yeah. So as a as a little kid, you know, we'll go back to you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, born and raised, and all I ever wanted to do was be a, a fly planes. So I'd look up in the sky, I'd see these things. I had no idea how you did it. I just thought I want to do that. Um, and so I I played a lot of sports and stuff in high school, and I used that same tenacity and that same drive. I just I I got out of playing sports, uh, playing football, and I turned that to being a pilot. And I used that same drive and energy that I knew from playing sports, and I kind of attacked the, the flying of airplanes, same, same methodology. Um, and I was so fast at getting this, um, I ended up having to actually quit my last year of college. I was going to Cal State Los Angeles. I had to quit my last year of college because I got offered a job with an airline called TWA, um, and that was going to be in St. Louis, Missouri. And I remember going to my professor, and I said, what, what do I do? Like, I've got offered a job, but I haven't finished. And he was like, in this business, you take the job. It's seniority. You can always finish your degree. So I did what he said. I quit school. I moved out to St. Louis. I was flying up for TWA all over the, the Midwest. Um, and then I got based in California. When I got based in California, about a year later, I started resuming my school via correspondence. Um, there was no, I hate to date myself, but there was no online schools at the time. So they actually had to mail the books and everything to me. And I had to go to a college to actually get the test taken and it was very hard but but I did it I got my college degree um, and then I started applying at some of the bigger airlines and I ended up getting a job with uh, at the time it was Continental Airlines um, and I was 25 years old the average age to get hired for the major airlines was 35 so I was 10 years ahead of the curve not be uh, and honestly it's not that I was smarter or better I just had this drive that I was just not quitting and I was like I'm, I, I knew nothing else. That's all I'd ever been trained to do as an athlete. You know, you guys played sports. All I've ever learned is just have this drive. And that's, I applied it to the pilot. So 
So I get hired as an airline pilot at 25 years old. Um, I move out to Guam. Guam is one of the places they base me. So I'm flying out of Guam all over the South Pacific. And I've got the best job in the world. I'm like, I've made it. Like, this is, this is what I want to do. And I remember my wife, we'd gotten married, just married. And I remember coming home, but, you know, we're diving, spearfishing, we're doing all this stuff. And I remember coming home, telling my wife, like, I'd never want to do anything else. Like, this is the best life I could have. And so we lived in Guam for about three, three and a half years, traveled all over Asia, South Pacific, bungee jumped in New Zealand, rode elephants in Thailand. I mean, we, we were just having the best time of our lives. And then we decided, okay, why don't we head back to the States? Been there about three and a half years. It's time to head back. So we head back to the States and we did that in summer of 2001. So when you head back from an island, your stuff goes on a boat. Okay. So it takes about eight weeks for your stuff to arrive. So I put in a transfer and I get based in Houston. We arrive in Houston, August, 2001. Well, my stuff is on a boat. September 11th, tragedies that happened, 9-11, happens. And all of a sudden, my stuff is on a ship. And I get a notice three days after 9-11 that's saying, hey, thanks for being an employee. And we don't think we need you anymore. So that safe and that secure job that you thought you had, it's really not that safe. And it's really not that secure. And oh, by the way, you're about to be on the street with 50,000 other pilots. So good luck. And you're just like, how did this happen? Like, what do you mean? Like, I thought this was the job, untouchable. This was the life. And if, you know, for people watching, if you've never been in that situation, in pilot school, they don't teach you to do anything else except fly a plane. So I'm not qualified to actually do anything else. And I started realizing and it's very, it's very scary. And I'll tell you, it's very humbling to realize that everything that you thought up until this point in your life, and I mean, we're talking 72 hours after 9-11, your whole life has changed. Like everything you know is gone because unless I'm willing to go fly in another country or do something else, I can't do what I had been trained to do. And I realized that I was so specialized in being a pilot that I was actually self-limiting anything else that I could do because I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know anything about anything. I just knew about being a pilot because that's all I wanted to do. Now, just, just to kind of clarify, I came within 30 people of the bottom of a 6,000 pilot seniority list, okay? So I never actually got furloughed, but for the next two years, every week I would be waiting in the mail because that's when we'd get our letter saying if we, they were going to keep us or not keep us, which look, I'm glad that I was able to keep my job, but that tension every week of wondering Am I going to have a job? Am I not? Am I doing this? That was almost, I hate to say worse, but it was, a, it was very, you know, you're always waiting for the shoe to drop. If there was another hiccup, another terrorist attack, I was screwed. And so I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time. And what it taught me, though, was that if I do not control my destiny, and if I don't take responsibility that I got, let myself get lazy, it was on me. Like, it was all my fault. I can't blame, you know, I get the terror happened. I had nothing to do with the attacks. But what I realized was I let myself get lazy and I was the one to blame for this. There was no one else to blame. And I had to take ownership of the fact that I let myself get in this position. My family, you know, everything that I was doing was in jeopardy because I believed in an illusion that didn't exist. And so what I started doing is I started reading as much as I could about getting wealthy. I'm like, okay, what, 
the hell am I going to do? Well, hold on. Let me let me cut you off before before we go, because I really want people to, to understand this part. Knowing what you know now. What what should you have done different in that position? Because the story is great and a lot of people have actually probably gone through something like that. But what advice would you give Steve Rosenberg, you know, an hour or a year or whatever before this happened? Like, hey, dude, this is what you should be doing while this is your job. Like while you're comfortable, fill in the blank. What would you have told yourself so that, okay, I got let go. But now, you know, I've been doing fill in the blank. What advice would you give yourself for back then? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an example. I get a lot of people these days that ask me because the airline industry is very similar 20 years ago to what's going on right now. A lot of people are losing their jobs in the airline industry, a lot of furloughs. And people ask me, they say, Steve, what's the difference between you today and you 20 years ago? And I tell them it's one word, it's action. I took action. I didn't know if it was the right action, but I took freaking action. So going back to your question, what I would have done differently is I would have never stopped taking action. Just because I got a job and I got this safe, secure you know, life, that did not really give me the right to stop learning and stop trying to be better. And I realized that the people that are really successful, they're not tied to a monetary number. It's not tied to a job. It's tied to the fact that they're always trying to improve themselves and be better. They're in masterminds, they're mentored, they're coaches. And for us to think that we don't have to do that, I would say it's very irresponsible because we have family members and we have people that are relying on us. And I remember having to go back and tell my wife, like, I think I'm going to lose my job. And it was just like, like, and our, our was still on a boat. It wasn't even, I mean, we didn't even, I'm like, what, what happens to my stuff now? Like it's on a ship right now. So going back to your question, what I would tell myself or tell anyone else is do not get lured into the illusion that just because you graduate college, just because you buy a house, just because you did this, never stop improving yourself to be better. Cause that is where you get in trouble. And that is where people fail. And, and look, we all know the highway to success is littered with millions of people that have failed along the way, right? Just like you said, being a pilot, it is, it's in the single digits of people who actually try to fly a plane to actually becoming an airline pilot. There's a lot of people that don't make it because they get lazy, because they get complacent, because they believe they deserve something. I don't think we deserve anything, right? We don't, you and I, none of us, we don't deserve it. We deserve what we get every day. And every day, you know, I tell myself, I have a decision to make every morning that I wake up. Am I going to be better than yesterday or am I going to be worse? Because we're never the same. And that's a decision that I make every day that I've made a promise to myself because I remember, I'll tell you a quick story about probably about, Five days after 9-11, all the planes in the sky during 9-11, and I don't know if you remember this, but they all had to land wherever they were or they would be shot down. Whatever airport you were over, you had to circle and land, right? And there were thousands of planes scattered all over the world. So I had just gotten my furlough notice, and I get dispatched to go to Denver Airport to pick up a plane and reposition it to Charlotte or something like that. And me and this other pilot are walking through the terminal. And there's no one there, right? The, the, the terminal's empty. There's no light. It's a huge cavernous building. And I'm in this fog because I already know that I'm about to lose my job and 9-11 and all this stuff. And I remember looking out and I remember seeing all these planes sitting in a jigsaw puzzle on the ramp parked. And I remember thinking to myself, I have no control over what happened, but I had control over making sure that my destiny 
was secured. And because I got lazy, I let someone else dictate my future. And the one thing I could never get back was those three, four years that I was living in La La Land, not in reality, thinking that I was okay. So kind of going back to your question, the one thing I would say is I would never, ever let up. And if you have family, if you have friends, if you have properties and you have people relying on you, it is your duty and it is your responsibility every day to try to be better. If not for you, for everyone else that's relying on you. And so that's the one thing I would say is constant action. Yeah, and Steve, one of the things that's that's really good with what you said, as far as the action goes, it's literally almost a year since the pandemic started, right? Because it started like in March, March something is where everything went downhill for a while. And um, I bet you just like you were 20, like in 2001, a lot of people found themselves in those same, in that same spot where like, holy crap, I just got fired or I got furloughed. I lost my job. Now I don't know what to do. And it's sort of like now looking back is how can people, how like if they were putting in that position, what can they do now? so that they are not in that position in the future if something else happens, right? And I feel like that taking action the right way and assuming responsibility, right? At the end of the day, it's like what Grant Cardone says, like success should be your responsibility, obligation, and your duty. And it's sort of like that comes from just taking action to to not having other people be in charge of your future, but you having the opportunity to be able to change things if, if certain things happen. Yeah. And, and look, at the end of the day, I think what happens is, is we 70% of thoughts that go through our brain are negative, right? So we gravitate towards negative thoughts, which means we gravitate towards negative people. So a lot of times it's easier to be with a bunch of losers that want to tell you it's okay to fail than to be with the one or two winners that say, you know, it's not okay. You have to be better. And so mm-hmm. we will gravitate towards the losers. Inherently, we, we all do it. We want someone to tell us it's going to be okay, as opposed to someone saying, you know what? No, it's going to be okay when you take accountability and you stand up and you start taking action. And I believe in, I'm a big believer in compartmentalizing the people that I hang around with. Now, look, we all have our, our forever friends that we grew up with in the neighborhood. You know, I grew up in East LA, so I've got a lot of friends that are not doing what I'm doing. Doesn't mean I'm not friends with them, but also doesn't mean that I take them on tour when I'm speaking around the world. Right. And so you have to learn that you got to compartmentalize the people, because if you don't, that negative thought will creep in. And then, you know, they call it the loser limp. Right. You start walking with that limp, you know, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're justifying why it's okay to fail. Why the economy? You know, and and I I, um, I get a lot of people. I was a guest on a show um, for a friend of mine. He's an airline pilot. He has a podcast show. It's called Pilot Side Hustle. And I was one of the most requested guests because they wanted to hear my story. So I tell them my story and all these people are like, well, you did this and you did that and you did everything. And I'm like, I'm telling you the recipe for success. I'm telling you what it took. And you're still telling me it doesn't work. Look, like we all know, right? We all get mentored. We all get coached. We all do these things. What we've learned, even through different people, is not any different what I'm being told to what you're being told to what Felipe is being told. It success leaves a trail. There is a recipe for people that are successful. It's not magic. It's not mystical. It is through constant, continual action, in my opinion. And it's, it, you know, again, if we if we follow the success trail, we will be successful. But it's like it, it for some reason in our minds, we want to feel it's okay to fail, and we want someone to tell us it's okay. And 
I don't agree with that because I've been on both sides. And yeah, money doesn't buy you happiness, but you can buy a lot better than you can when you're rich than when you're poor, right? So <laughs> exactly. that's just that's just reality, right? Steve, what's I got a I got a I got a soft question, or I got two. One, I disagree. I think money does buy happiness, and I'll tell you why. My son means the world to me, right? And in a position that I am now, if he gets sick, I promise you I'm going to the top of the line at the at the hospital. If he's hungry, we're going to get the best meals. I, I and he makes me happy. So, I do like I I do think that money brings happiness in how you use it. You know, I that's just my belief and 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 maybe like physical money doesn't make you happiness, but I'm a lot happier with money than when I didn't have money because I can I, I, I'm able to to like enjoy that with those who mean the most to me. Um, I, I don't know. That's just, agree, but the only thing I would say is that it's not the money. It's the perception of what money gives you. Mm. So you the perception of the safety and security of what money gives you. If you lived in a all inclusive community where you didn't have to pay anything for anything that you did and everything was free. Would money be a value to you? No, it's no, the it's the, the use of it, right? Of the safety and security. So I, I understand it, it's giving you the ability to be safe and secure, but it's not it's not a number in the bank account. It's not like you know. A lot of times, look, we all know we've been in this business long enough to know that some people say like, when I get when I get X dollars in the bank account, then I can rest, then I'll be happy. It's like it doesn't happen from a decimal point or a digit or a comma. In your bank account, you—it's what that number is giving you. So it's what your perception of money is allowing you to think. So you're right; it does. Look, I—I'm—I'm I'm a big believer. I'm a capitalist. I believe we should all make money, right? I'm not opposed to that. I just don't think a digit or a number is actually going to make you happy. I think I it's the that. perception and the safety and security is what makes you happy. I like that. I agree with that. Yeah. So, question here: Whenever you Okay, so then at that point you lost your job or you didn't know, you you had that insecurity, right? That you didn't know what was gonna happen. At what point did you did you decide, okay, I need to get out of the rat race or at least, because at what point did you really think, okay, now at this time, I need to figure out what are my other options so that I just don't have, for example, that one source of income. Or what do I need to do to take action? What can what what did you do so that other people can take that as an example? Well, I again just my my nature of who I am. I started reading a book a week. Once I realized real estate, I, I you know I started studying and I realized, man, there's a lot of rich people in real estate, and I know a lot of airline pilots that owned real estate too. So I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense. Have a rental property. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, okay, let me, again, this is a certain different time frame before YouTube. So I had to go to the library. I got a library card. I go to the freaking library. I check out books. I'm, I'm, you know, rich dad, poor dad, all the standard books that were fresh out at that time frame. And I'm learning and learning and learning. So just to give you some time frame of how aggressive I am, that was probably about, probably about three to four weeks after 9-11. So we'll say October 1. During between October and January, I paid for a mentor to teach me how to do a double closing and how to flip a property um, through, through contracts. I, by January 1, I already did my first deal. I did a double closing on a property. I made $20,000 on the deal and I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I mean, I was, I, I had, he's just telling me, do this, do that, do this. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Like, he's like, man, I haven't had anyone much, really how much do did that, that before. How much did the mentor cost you? 
and you made $10,000 on that because of your first deal was a $20,000 check. So this is so important and I'm going to let you go on. But when I first started, I used to think, oh, paying for mentorship is stupid. There's so much free information. And then I realized like people were flying past me in real estate. And I'm like, how are you doing this? And oh, my mentor here or, or, or the guy that's teaching me this. And I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. You find a mentor and he's going to let you skip through all the bumps and bruises that I'm going to go through. And he's going to guide you through this. What's the cost? And the person was like, uh, I think it's like 10,000 bucks or something. And it's like, they almost didn't care, but because of the return of that investment was so large. Right. And just like you said, I, I figured that the, that, that the cost of the mastermind or the, or the cost of the person teaching you was going to be probably half of what you've already made based on that. And that knowledge stays forever. So I think it is very important that people find the right mentors price, not thinking of it as price, but as an investment towards what you want to gain for, because you can multiply that knowledge that you got. So I think that's that's great. And I think it's important because some people like like me, when I first started, I didn't believe in like having a mentor or paying someone to teach me. And now I'm all about it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, guys, if you really want to do what took someone 30 years to do in five or 10 years, like you really need to have like somebody that's better than you and you need to be giving back. Like if you can give back and have a mentor, like you're definitely going to be successful. So I I love that you said that you had a mentor at this point uh, and that you were learning. So sorry, keep going about your story. $20,000. Great. Yeah. So, so I, and, and I had no idea what I was doing, but it worked. And people were like, how did you do that? Like, how did you do this double closing? And I'm like, I, I really don't know. I'm like, honestly, I just did what I was told. And, and it was funny is I had all these people, these experts say, well, you, you can't do that. You can't do a double close. And I'm like, well, I just, I just did. I'm like, I'm not saying that I know what I'm doing. I'm just saying that I did it. Well, that you can't, I'm like, I'm just telling you what I did. Like I, I, you know, so all of a sudden I started realizing, okay, there's two different types of people here. There's people that want you to succeed that you have to pay for their time. And then there's people who really don't want you to succeed. And they're kind of jealous of you and your time. So I thought, okay, where do I want to spend my time? That's, I started learning that divide right there. And I thought, I want to be with these other people. And is it worth me paying them that money? Well, I think so. So I started getting better and better at negotiating. So I was learning about how to flip contracts and how to do options, right? I got, I was, I mean, I was doing about 20 to $25,000 a deal. This is in Houston, Texas, where houses are only $150,000, right? But I was, got so good at negotiating. I started taking classes on communication and NLP and how to negotiate and how to communicate. So I started really kind of getting into a vertical of understanding that communicators make the most money on the planet. And everybody who has a business, is a salesperson, president of the United States, whoever, these are all people that are great communicators. And I started understanding the correlation. So I got so good at doing this, I actually made enough money that I bought into an apartment complex deal. So, I mean, I, I did very, very well. I started creating a business model around this, understanding how to systematize, how to automate, and just thinking, okay, what am I good at? What am I not good at? How can I get someone else? And I got really good. So once I, I joined an investment group here in Houston um, and all these people wanted to know what I was doing. They're like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you making $20,000 and you're doing two or three of these a month? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing it. And they're like, you can't. And I'm like, again, same conversation. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I'm doing and I'm taking action. 
right? Because I'm just, I'm just grinding it out. Like I refuse to accept that I can't do it and I'll, I'll figure it out. So anyway, so I, I bought the apartment complex with, with a couple other people. We ended up selling that complex, did very well. And that was about 2007. So one of the guys that was in the deal with me, he was the lead investor. He says, hey man, I really want to learn what you're doing. I'm like, okay, I'm like, let's, let's flip some deals. And I just, I just kind of know how to do it. So we start negotiating, we start doing options on deals. He ends up quitting his job. He, he's all in. Well, all of a sudden, 2007, 2008 starts going and the industry starts crashing. So I'm like, hey man, why don't we just keep these deals for ourselves? We know how to get them. We know how to communicate. We know how to negotiate, right? I learned all about disc profiling and, and a lot of NLP stuff. And I was really, really dialed in on the communication side. And he knew how to run the properties. So he comes to me one day and he's like, hey, man, he's like, I found these deals that are, there's tons of them out there and they're great deals. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, what are they? He's like, they're low income, high cash flow properties. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what those are. He's like, man, we can make a lot of money. He's like, like 50% return on paper. On paper is the key word here. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, well, why buy one? Like, let's buy as many as we can. So in about a year, we buy about 20 of these properties, right? These are, you know, these are 30, $40,000 houses in low-income areas in Houston. We buy as many as we can. And then <laughs> this is where all of a sudden people start calling us with problems. They can't pay their rent. They got a maintenance issue. They've got this, they've got that. And we're like, whoa, like when we had the apartment building, we had a manager. We didn't have a manager with the houses. We were the manager. And so what happened was, is all of a sudden we started getting these bubbles of problems. They were taking more time, more time, more time. And we're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. This is a lot more time intensive. Maybe if we buy more of them, we'll get through the mountain quicker. Well, let me tell you, that was probably the dumbest thing I think I've ever done in my life because it was like taking gasoline and putting it on a fire and it just exploded in our faces with problems. I got so bad at about house number 35, my wife told me the next house you buy better be nice because you will be living in it because you suck at buying houses. You are no good and you need to stop. And I, here's a good lesson for everyone watching. I had such tunnel vision thinking that I could fix the problem. I was so focused that you could not deter me. I had that pig headed determination that I'd never stopped to think I'm going the wrong way in the wrong direction with the wrong vehicle, this is never, ever going to work. And after about, I don't know, it's probably about somewhere around 40 houses, we, me and my business partner realized this model doesn't work. Not that those houses don't work, but the business model that we were trying to do, which was a passive income, it wasn't working for those models. I don't swing a hammer, right? I don't know how to, I'm not, I'm not inclined that way. I'm flying for the airline still. I realized that that was not the right goal. That was not the right strategy to get to the goal. The lesson here is if somebody would have asked me, or if I was smart enough to ask myself that question, I should say, is saying, hey, Steve, what is the goal of buying these properties? What do you want as a result of these? I would have said, I want passive income that's gonna give me a return, and when I retire from the airlines, they will be worth a lot more money. Those properties are not those types of properties. So if, somebody if I would have thought enough to think that through, or somebody would have asked me that, I would have had a much different outcome, but nobody did. And I never had the foresight to think it through. So I had a bunch of these properties with a lot of problems. And what happened was, is we tried to hand them off to a management company and nobody wanted them. Nobody would take them because all these management companies are like, these things are dogs. Like you'll never make money. Like you'll go bankrupt. So we had to create our own management company 
to manage our own properties. But the first thing that we did, going back to what you said, Felipe, is we hired a coach. We went to a business coach and we said, here's what we've done. Here's where we think we can go. Can you help us? And he looked at everything, looked at our numbers, and he said, well, you've got opportunity, you've got scalability in the market, and there is a market for it. So yeah, you have a business. You two are not the smartest guys in business, and you'll be bankrupt in six months. So we hired this guy on the spot. We have a business coach. And for the next seven years, we saw this guy every single week for an hour. He was our business coach that helped us scale to a multi-million dollar company. We we're operating out of Mexico, out of the U.S., we, we ended up you know, exiting and selling my business and, and doing very, very well with that because, because we were coached. Without that guy, and we probably had four or five coaches at the time, we would never have been able to scale. And just going back to one thing that you said, Felipe, I, I, I relate a lot of things to, to sports. Um, and I look at Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was probably, in my opinion, probably the best athlete in the history of basketball. But he had seven or eight coaches at one time. He had a shooting coach, nutrition coach, mental mindset coach, financial coaches, strength coaches. He had all these coaches. But you have to ask, and he would practice eight hours a day, every single day, for a one-hour game that he played. So you've got to ask yourself, why would someone who's the best in history, the best ever to play the game, did he have coaches because he was the best? Or was he the best because he had coaches? And so, you know, he didn't even make his high school basketball team, right? He, was, he, he got cut from the team. So you got to ask yourself, what is it that a coach brought out of him that maybe he would never have been able to get from himself? And so if you think of kids playing Little League baseball, Little League basketball, Little League basketball, they've got to have a coach that shows them how to do these things, right? There's no way that you're going to sit there. Let's say kids are playing baseball and they're swinging these bats at each other's heads. And you're like, yeah, they'll figure it out. They should, they'll probably be a pro player one day. They'll just figure it out on their own. That is probably the most important time to have a coach and to have a mentor. Most people in real estate are in the little league of real estate right now. To think that you can do it on your own and when you become a pro like Michael Jordan, that's when you'll get the coach. I think it's, I think it's irresponsible. I think it's ignorant. And I think it's a pipe dream. And that's why so many investors fail and they're littered on the highway of success because they think it's when I get to that point. They don't understand. They will never get to that point if they don't take time, responsibility, put their ego aside and say, you know what? I want to learn from someone who's done this before. And the way that I get that is through remuneration and I have to pay someone for their time. Just like Michael Jordan, just like all these people, you know? So it's kind of a long story of it, but I'm a big believer in being mentored and coached. And I, I have probably invested, keyword is invested, not spent. I have probably invested probably close to seven to $800,000 in being coached and mentored through this journey over the last 20 years. Is it worth it? Someone says, man, that's a lot of money. Well, I sold my business for multi-million dollars. I probably would never have had a business had I never been mentored. Was it worth it? I say absolutely, because I would never have been there had I not done this. That's interesting. Um, because a lot of people will invest in a hundred thousand dollar home, but won't pay a coach a thousand bucks to teach them how to manage that correctly for the next 30 years or what to actually do or find out their goal. Um, in rat race to our mastermind, we asked that question quite a bit. It's like, what is your end goal? What do you want to do? You know, they're like, Hey Felipe, is this a good deal? And I'm like, I don't know what's your goal. If you can tell me your goal, then I can tell you if that's going to be a good deal or not. It, it, Cause every, <clears throat> we always tell everyone, look, every box, every house has a good 
opportunity for something. It's either gonna be a good flip, a good wholesale, a good rental property, and if it doesn't match your goal, then it's not a good property for you. And those are little things that I had to figure out you know, the hard way. And just like you in your book, about these properties that you talk about and how much of a headache they were like you know you were like i landed a plane and i was picking up a call about a tenant it's like that's that's not the lifestyle you want to live and i've heard you say many times that you have to start with the end in mind you have to know what is your end goal and reverse engineer that and every house has to be subject to that goal or it doesn't make sense for you and those are things that a mentor is going to teach you because we've gone through that right and i still have so much to learn and even you, I know that you're still learning. You're actively learning. And I think that's a big mistake that rookies make when they first start out is they say, like you said, I'm not going to get a coach until later. <clears throat> and it's like, and here's another example. I get this question all the time. Felipe, when should I get a, a, a real estate uh, CPA or a real estate tax person? I'm like, the day you buy that first property, you need to have a tax person. And I think it's the same thing with a coach. The moment you decide that you want to start in real estate, get your team together. And I think a real estate coach is not pushed enough onto that. We all see the Instagram post of like, who's your team? And rarely do I see on there mentor. Like that's rarely what I see on there. And I think that's very important. Well, look, at the end of the day, a, a property is four walls and a roof. Right? <coughs> that's all it is. The business that's running inside those four walls and the roof is what's going to give you the goal of what you want. So, you know, when I mentor or coach people, whatever, when I talk to people and I say, what's the goal? And they go, I want to own 10 houses. And I'm like, that's like saying, I want to get on the freeway and drive. You got to have a place that you're going to go to. Just having a house. Look, I had many of those houses that I was losing my ass on, losing money on. I sold those to another investor and he made money on it. Same four walls and a roof. So you got to ask yourself, what is it he did differently to make money on properties that I was losing money on. He had a different business model because he had a different strategy. He had a different goal. So that's like, you know, if you're in Los Angeles and your goal is to get to Disneyland, but you jump on the 405 freeway in a snowmobile, you're not gonna get to Disneyland because you have the wrong tactic. So, you know, or you get, and you start heading on five freeway north and you're going northbound and you gotta head south. You have the wrong strategy. So a lot of times we got to, we don't think about where the goal is. If you were to pull off the side of the road and say, hey, Felipe, I need directions. The first thing you're going to say is, where are you going? If you say, I don't really know, then you're going to be like, well, then I can't help you get anywhere. And so and it sounds so ridiculous, right? It sounds so common sense, but that's what so many of us do in real estate. We think that, you know what, I'm just going to buy a house and I'll figure it out. Why would you do that? Like, you, you know, again, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the one thing that I will say that, that I am a big believer in that I went through is the one thing people do not account for is the mental stress and frustration and sleepless nights that when you buy a bad deal. Now, imagine I had 40 something properties, right, of, of, in, this, in this size portfolio that I had that, that were just dogs. And I thought to myself, I did this. Like, I, I put myself in this position. Like, like what did I do? And, you know, now you got to figure out how to undo it. It takes three to four times more energy to undo a bad deal than it does not to buy the deal. And so the, the thing that I would tell people is don't just do it because the mental stress and strain that you will put on yourself in the middle of going through the process is something that I personally would not want to wish upon anyone because it is a horrible feeling going through knowing 
that you did it yourself. Like you did it, even knowing that you shouldn't have done it and you did it anyways. And I was that guy. I mean, I did it. And it was not a good feeling because again, it's not just you, you're putting in jeopardy. It's your finances. It's your family. It's the trust of people. It erodes very, very different levels of things that you can never get back. And once that chain is broken, it's hard to reattach the links is what I've learned at least. And um, Steve, so for somebody, for example, who is who has a full time job and they've been listening to podcasts, reading all these books and they have like shiny object syndrome, right? Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try it out and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do wholesaling. Then I'm going to flip. Um, what would what would be like the one or two questions that they should ask themselves so that they can decide to take action, not just for taking action, but to take action being intentional the right way? That's a, that's a great question. Um, let me first, let me, let me just say that, you know, I am not a big believer in, I see people online and they quit your job and this and that. Look, I love my job. I love being an airline pilot, right? I do this because I love doing it and I will not quit doing it. Now, if I was miserable, that's a different story. I am not a big believer that you should quit your job because someone else says to. If you don't like your job or you like real estate that much more, absolutely. Being financially free does not have to be tied to whether you work or don't work, right? I mean, look, I, if the airline said, hey, Steve, thanks a lot. We don't need you now. I would be okay. So I am financially free as far as that goes, but I love what I do. And I think it's okay if somebody says, like, I, I, I was at a conference in Miami last weekend and the guy was a, he had a big roofing company, but he was like, I'm also a firefighter. And I said, well, do you like being a firefighter? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, then keep being a firefighter, man. He's like, man, he's like, so many people tell me I need to quit. I'm like, Look, if it's not inhibiting your business and it's not inhibiting what you do and you love doing it, then do what you love to do, right? Don't, don't fall into the trap that like, oh, I should quit because someone online posted a picture of me quitting my job. Like that's, 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 I don't agree with that. So, but I do agree with being financially free and financially independent. Like what you guys are doing is great because you're teaching people how to get to the destination, which goes back to, to your question. You guys have the end goal, financially independent freedom, right? What does that mean for you? So what I would say is the biggest challenge we have as entrepreneurs, especially new investors, is we go to these courses, we read these books, we go to seminars, we listen to podcasts, right? So I do all of this stuff, but I don't share it with the people that I'm trying to do it for, my spouse, my children. They have no idea what I'm doing. I'm holed up in a room reading a book, I'm going to these courses. I'm coming back and I'm like, hey, we're rapping. We're subject to We're doing this. And they're like, what the hell is he doing now? So the, the, the thing is, I say that we can, as entrepreneurs, we sometimes are the most selfish people because the people that we're trying to do this for, we don't even tell them. They have no idea what we're doing. And so three, four, five, 10 years down the road, you reach this financial goal that you set on your own. And maybe your spouse is like, I never wanted that. I just wanted you here. And you're like, well, I thought you wanted this and that and that. And you're like, you never asked me, right? And so that's the thing. And I know, Felipe, you do a lot with your son and stuff. And that's great because the, we're doing it for them, but we never share it with them. So the first thing you have to do is, again, look, I don't care if you're flipping, wholesaling, whatever. You own a business. That business has to have a CEO. You are the CEO of that business, first and foremost. A CEO knows how to communicate, how, knows how to have a vision, and knows how to be a leader. You have to be that leader and that visionary to the company. The company is your family, right? So that's a matter of having a board of directors meeting with your family and saying, okay, 
where are we going? What is the vision of what we want? Because flipping, wholesaling, burr, whatever these things are, all these acronyms, these are just strategies that are supposed to get you to where you want to go. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, where do we want to go as a family? What does our life look like as a result of all this? Because look, we all know it's not money, right? It's, it's, it's what the money gives us. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it that, what is that life want? You know, I was taught, one of the gentlemen that, that mentored me, very, very wealthy guy, he said to me, he said, you know what, Steve, he said, at one point in your life, you will stop buying toys and you will stop buying and you will start buying memories. He said, because the memories are what you will never get back. So he said, he said, I want you to create a, a, a journal of where in the world would you want to eat dinner? I want to eat dinner on sunset on the coast in Greece in the fall. I want to go on an African safari and eat with, out in the middle of the, the bush. He's like, those are the memories that you're going to start buying. And he said, you're going to have cars, you're going to have houses, you're going to have all that stuff. He goes, but that's going to get old because you're only going to be able to upgrade those. But what do you want? And he goes, you want to, he goes, think of concerts. Who would you love to see in concert that you would never be able to see again, right? So there's probably people that you wish that maybe passed away that you will never see them again. He goes, start making a list of memories that you want, because that's really what we're trying to do, right? Felipe wants the memories with his son and his family to go to Florida and go do what he wants to do. It's really the memories we want. But he goes, we mask that in thinking that we want it as a monetary number, when all we really want is that monetary number to give us the actual memory. So why not just think of what is it we want, but more importantly, be inclusive with the whole family of what do they want? What is their dream life, right? And so I don't think a lot of us do that because we, you know, ego and pride has a way of kind of sheltering because we don't want to look dumb, right? We don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. So we do it our, we, I'll take it on myself. I'll do it myself. But again, and I was that person, right? I was buying these houses thinking I was doing great. My wife is like, what are you doing? She's like, you're more stressed. You're, you're, you're not happy. You're, you're this, you're that, blah, blah. And she's like, and I'm like, well, I'm doing this for the family. She's like, you never asked me. Like, you never asked me what I wanted. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I guess I never did. You just assume, right? That's what we assume. We assume like, hey, you know what? We're going to, we're, we're, we're the ones doing this. We're taking the bull by the horns. We're being selfless. But the reality is, is we're being selfish. And, and it's a, it's a very interesting time when you have that moment that you're like, huh, gosh, all this was for nothing. Cause she didn't even want that. Or my kids didn't even want that. So that I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where I would go with that. No, that's 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 really good. Yeah. So so then, what you would say is basically ask, like, have a communication with your family so that you know what your end goal is. And I also believe too, it's like, why do you really want to do it, right? Because a lot of people, because the path to financial independence at the end of the day is not is not easy. There's a lot of different things, and that's why not many people do it. So having that goal and also having why do you want to do it? Yeah. And just like what, what you were saying, Steve, um, it's really important to like, if you love your job, stay at that job, but have the option to quit, right? At the end of the day is, I think that financial freedom at the end of the day just buys you the options to, to, to choose, right? Just like you said, you can choose to go to, to, to Europe and, and have that dinner, enjoy that view, enjoy that experience. And at the end of the day, you just want to build a big life. Yeah, 100%. And, and look, at the end of the day, you know, we have a finite time in this world, right? We, we, have a, we, have a, we have a certain amount of, you know, the average person lives 4,400 weeks a year, right? So if you are 38 years old, you have 1,950 Wednesdays left in your life to live. 
So the question is, is how are you going to spend those Wednesdays? Every day we get 86,400 seconds a day. We don't get to carry those 86,000 seconds forward to tomorrow. And we don't get to bank on any that we did yesterday. You have a finite number, right? If all of a sudden, you know, I've got 1950 Wednesdays left. How am I going to spend them? You start looking at things a little bit differently, right? And so I'll give you an example, like in my business, right? It was me and my business partner. So we would have board of directors meetings once a quarter where we would bring our spouses into the meetings and we would go over P&L statements, general ledgers, forecasting, what our goals were. Did we hit our goals? Did we not? Why are we not hitting the goals? So that they knew what was going on. And you know, one of the things I do with people that I coach and stuff is I do alignments with husbands and wives because you know, again, the husband's out, out there, you know, maybe he's the one that's the investor, the, spouse, the wife is the investor, but the other one has no idea. And so as, as investors, right, we want to sell our spouse the pie in the sky. This is going to be great. I'm going to do this. Well, as soon as that doesn't happen or a fraction of that doesn't happen, now they start doubting you. And it puts a chink in that armor and they go, huh, maybe he's not as smart as I thought he was. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. So I do an alignment and I recommend a once a year minimum alignment. Say, okay, this is best case scenario. This is worst case scenario. This is about where we think he's going to be. This is how much time commitment he's going to need to be involved in this. This is how much capital, right? This is what you could make. This is what you could lose. Throw it all on the table, even with partnerships. When people want to get a partners, I'm like, look, we should have a conversation, not only with the partners, but with the spouses. Bring everyone into the meeting. Be like, does anybody have an issue with where we're going here? Because it's not the two partners normally. It's a lot of times it's the spouses that don't really believe in what that person's doing or the other person. Well, let's, let's get it all on the table, man. Let's air the grievances. Let's see it. Do we have a partnership here or do we not? A lot of us don't do that. We, you know, it's all in this high, this bubble of great things. But look, we all know motivation is like a battery. It drains over time. The thing that's going to keep you grinding day in and day out on the tough days is your why. And if the why is not strong enough, it will fade in the business. You know, that's why most business relationships dissolve in the dissolution because they always sell them on the high. They don't talk about how do we have this motivation or how do we have this why to carry us through the dark days. And I think it's important to do that. I really do. So, so taking the lessons that you've learned from the past where you had all these dumpy homes or dog homes, whatever you call them, and then you, you sold all that off. Someone else did better than you on it. So lesson learned. You started a property management company, which I think you're still CEO of, or you still have Mind. Is that right? Yeah, Mind. Uh, Mind Property Management purchased us, so I'm I'm head of investor education for them. They have eight thousand units uh, oh. nationally, so I, I I do stuff with them as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you're still involved there. You still have a little bit of real estate. You're you're still. It's it seems like you're still really happy um, as an airline pilot. So you, obviously you don't want to quit. What does going forward look like for Steve Rosenberg? Like what is what does the future have for you? It's a good question. For me, going forward is I, I, I believe that life is a journey. Life is like a chat. Life is a book, right? And so we have chapters. Chapters begin and chapters end. Some chapters are long, some are short, some are good, some are bad, right? Well, me getting to this point in my life is a succession of chapters that have built up. Well, when I sold my company, that was a chapter in my life. It was a good chapter. We were making a lot of money. We had, we had no reason to sell, but I thought, you know what? I think it's time to close the chapter. It was just time for, for me personally. And so we closed that chapter. So the next chapter in my life is I like educating and helping people, right? I think that when I was growing up and I was making all these mistakes and I kind of fast-tracked them, as you know, in my book, I talk more in depth, but 
um, I made a lot of mistakes and I'm very, very open about my mistakes and my challenges because everybody, people don't seem to talk about that, right? Everyone has these, these Photoshop paychecks and these rented cars and all this stuff. And, and, you know, that's great. Good for them. But I want to know the lows and the lessons you learn from the mistakes. And I'm very open about that because I think the, the challenge with this industry of real estate, as you guys know, is the barrier to entry is so low that anybody can be a guru, an expert, and you don't even know if they're legit or not, or if they're really helping you. And look, I, I, I'm, no, I'm not someone who teaches you how to flip. I'm not someone who teaches you how to this. I'm someone who teaches you how to think differently. How do you go home and have that conversation with your spouse or with your loved one to say, I want to get involved in real estate? How do you drive down the street and say, this house is a good rental for me based on my goals. This one is not a good house for me based on my goals. I get you thinking about being a leader and being the CEO of your business because buying a house, which is four walls and a roof, look, you can go bankrupt just as quick with a good deal as you can with a bad deal. It's how you think about those deals. And I learned that because, again, there was people that bought properties that I was losing money on that made money because they thought differently. They just looked at the problem from a solution standpoint as opposed to me. So what, what I'm doing now in kind of my 2.0 version, I guess you will, of my life is I'm doing a lot of educating. I'm trying to create as much content as I can to be helpful. Look, I don't need the money, right? I, look, we all love money. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need the money. I, I don't need to, to help people. I want to help people that want to be helped. I want to help people that say, you know what, Steve, I know that you can get me to that promised land and I am willing to do what it takes. Look, I'm not here to hold someone's hand. I'm not here to pat you on the back and tell you it's raining out when someone's peeing on your face. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the reality that if you're not getting your done, I'm not the guy or I am the guy to get it done. And I think the challenge is a lot of us, you know, there's nobody out there really telling you how it is, right? From the mindset side, swinging a hammer, doing numbers, doing these other things. There's people out there, but I am big in the believer of, I want to teach you to be a better person for you, for your family, for your future, so that you can create that generational wealth that you can pass it down to your children and you teach them something because you thought differently than maybe how you grew up or how you were trained or how you were taught. So that, that's kind of what I'm doing now. That's cool, Steve. Thank you very much for for sharing all of that stuff. It's very exciting to see like where where you're gonna continue to grow in the future and helping people. Because when when we started to follow you, right, it was, it was about a year ago, and uh, you didn't have this many like followers on Instagram or anything. And now a, a year later, you've like skyrocketed. And just like you said, it's always that action taking. So freaking awesome, freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think that's really cool because I think it's it's easy to fake it on the internet, but people that follow you, that's real, right? Because people want value and you have to give actionable value for people to follow and continue to follow and, and, and continue to see what you're doing. I think you're doing great things. I love seeing you all across the board. Um, I, I yours, It's really funny. I was going to tell you earlier. Your son's videos like stress me out with his knife. Oh my gosh! I'm like, dude, slow down, stop, stop, please don't do that. <laughs> the, 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 are they butterfly knives? Is that what they're called? Yeah, well, they're called they're called balasongs. That's the term, but it's a butterfly knife essentially. Yeah. So oh god. Yeah, it, 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 and you know the example with that is that kid practices three four hours a day with these things. I mean, he is he is he is determined. And he carries super glue with him. Every time he cuts himself, he's got to glue his fingers together and stuff. But the kid is just, the kid is fanatical about being the best he can. And so, yeah, he does these videos and stuff. But, and, and I appreciate it, guys. And, you know, what's interesting is 
because I came from owning a business and being in the property management world, I've only been in the investor sphere for a year and a half or so. That's why most people don't know who I am because they're like, where did you come from? It's like, well, I owned a business. I was busy getting shit done, building an empire, sold that company. Now I'm in the, now I'm back in the investor world, but from a different perspective. Um, and so that's why I think a lot more people are knowing who I am because I've really only been on the scene for a year and a half or so in this world as the investor. And, I, and again, I think I add value from a different angle. Um, you know, I, I think what you guys do is different than what I do. It's different than what Brandon and Charles do. I think we all do different things. But, you know, at the end of the day, all of us just want to help people. I think that's, that's the common theme I've noticed with all of us. We're all willing to give ourselves. Like, look, we give a piece of our soul when we're online, right? We, people get to see who we are and we don't get to see them, right? And so there's, there's a part of us that we have to want to be helping people if we're willing to put ourselves in that realm. And I, and I think there's a lot to be said, and you guys should be commended as well. I mean, when you put yourself out there, you put yourself out there for criticism, right? Critiques. We don't know who these people are, but everyone's great at throwing stones until you get in front of them. And then they're like, well, I think you're a great guy. But it's like, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. But if I can just help someone not go through the drama and trials and tribulations that I went through, then I would say I've done my job and I'm, and I'm happy with my life and I can sleep well at night knowing that I've helped people just like you guys do. And I think you guys do a great job and I think you guys are going to explode with what you're doing because you guys are helping people. And that's the thing. The more people you help, the more you will be appreciated. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's as we're, as we are interviewing more and more people, like just hearing their stories and hearing how they are also hungry to help other people. It's always impactful. Um, Steve, I have one last question on my end for you uh, that I feel will definitely help the audience. What should be the first hire that one should have in their business, right? Because in the beginning, you mentioned how you were flipping, like you were flipping some some of the contracts, then you flipped properties, then you went into some investments. But what what do you think should be the first hire for, for that investor that's, that wants to look at this as a business? Because it's something that not many people do. A mentor. Yeah. <laughs> a mentor, yeah. Someone to guide you. Um, I would say, and again, when I say, when we say hire, it could be an outsourced position or something. I'm yeah. a big believer that all businesses run under the same chassis. And so what I mean by that is there's certain points that are very important in a business. And I believe, and I've been proven right many times on this, is the first and foremost thing you need is a marketing person. Because the marketing makes the phone ring sales answers the phone, operations does the operation, and then sales maybe sells it on the backside, either through a rental property or whatever. But if your phone is not ringing, you don't have a business. You're dying. You just don't realize it yet. And so again, many people that start a business are operators. I'm a better flipper. I'm better this. They're good at doing. If nobody knows who you are, if you, you let's say, for example, you want to open a burger. Let's say you've gone to the chef school and you make the best freaking hamburger in the world that is to die for and you put your shop next to McDonald's, who's gonna go out of business first? You or McDonald's, 100%. because they know how to market. So despite what anyone thinks, especially in this industry, in this world today, you have got to learn how to market or you have to hire that. Because if your phone's not ringing, you're going out of business. You just don't realize it until your bank account says zero. So I think marketing is the key. I like that a lot. Um, I use that example all the time and I'm glad you said it that way. Because McDonald's burger sucks. Let's just be honest, right? It, it sucks. But their marketing is just amazing. Those golden arches, 
are everywhere and and it doesn't matter where you are who you are everyone knows those golden arches right and their burger sucks like there's way better burgers out there but the moment you see those golden arches you know what taste you're gonna have and that's another thing that i like about mcdonald's is that it doesn't matter where in the world you are the burger tastes the same and your business should be that way like it doesn't matter where or how someone finds you you should give them the same service and everyone should know yes absolutely if you want a mindset coach if you want someone that's going to be amazing steve rosenberg has the best fill in the blank right so be the best at what you are like i said mcdonald's burger isn't the best but their marketing top notch it's really hard to fail at mcdonald's right because you know exactly what to expect so I, I love that i love that analogy like yeah you put a burger next to mcdonald's yours might be better but i guarantee you mcdonald's is going to outgrow you or definitely eat you up so i definitely agree with that my last question to you steve <clears throat> uh, and then you can tell us where everyone can find you and stuff is wh what would you tell a rookie that wants to get started but doesn't or, but is fearful to jump in they've got 50 grand life savings and they're like all right i'm ready to do this i've read all the books I have the right coach. I'm. I, I'm. I just can't pull the trigger. What do you say to someone? Man, you. You. It's. It's action. You know. You've got to learn to get out of your own head, and you've got to take action. Look, even if it's wrong action, you may take that fifty grand and buy the wrong deal and lose everything. But I tell you what, that's like buying a four-year degree in real estate in one deal. Because I guarantee you, the that you did and the mistakes that you made, you will never make those mistakes again. So. At some point, you know, you, you may want to go to a destination, but you never want to leave because you, all the lights aren't green. At some point, you're going to hit a red light. At some point, you have to be okay with failing. See, a lot of times we avoid failure, but the problem is, is failure is what actually leads to success. You are only going to succeed through having failures. Now, obviously, we don't want to lose all of our money, but at some point, you've got to learn. I mean, look, when you learn to ride a bicycle, you get up, you fall down, you get up, you fall down, you get up. You're failing every single time. At some point, the only reason you're able to actually eventually ride that bicycle is because you failed enough and you learned how to stay up. It's the same thing in real estate. Don't be afraid. Don't put all of your you know, ego and pride, right? We put all of our value in not looking stupid, right? We put all of our, all of our value in a number, in $50,000. It's digits. It's nothing else. But we put our pride because we put our, our, our smartness, how smart we are because of it. So my, my advice is you got to take action, even if it's little action, even if it's going to meet us, joining a group, getting mentored, do something every single day. You know, Diego knows that, you know, Gary Keller, the one thing, read that book, man, do one freaking thing every single day. And you would be amazed at the end of the year, you've done 365 things, which we all know will be exponentially more, but it's just a matter of taking action. So just kind of closing this out, I would say, You've, I mean, I, I'm a preacher of this. Take action. Just do something, right? I don't care if it's wrong. I don't care. You know, we are taught and trained in school that if you do something wrong, you fail. But in business, it's called a lesson. Why is that? You know, so do you want, you know, again, that's what we have to realize is we've got to be okay with failing and learning what the lesson was in that failure and go, okay, well, I know I won't do that again. Right. I, like, you, like you said, 80% of my book that I wrote is about my failures. But you know what? My payday was pretty freaking big when I sold that company because of my failures. And that's all I can say is the only reason I did it. If I was afraid, I would have never started the business. I would have never sold my company. I would probably never be here today because I never took action. I never started.
So I would say just action. I like that answer. I, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people will prepare themselves, read every book. Or, or A lot of people will be like, oh, I didn't watch Netflix anymore. Now I just listen to podcasts so that I can start. And I always tell them the same thing. I'm like, look, I don't care if you stopped watching Netflix and started listening to podcasts. If you didn't take action, you just flipped one entertainment for the other. Like, don't allow Rat Race, Mind, uh, any podcast out there. Don't allow us to become entertainment. Allow us to become actionable steps towards reaching your goal, right? And and, and I think like you I, you hit it perfect. I think uh, action is is the defining factor between those who are successful and those who are not. So I, I agree. I think that was a perfect answer, Steve. Where can people find you, man? Uh, and, and before we close this out, though, guys, if you want a free lesson from Steve Rosenberg, start a podcast, create some content, get him on a podcast, and then there, you got a free lesson from the GOAT, Steve Rosenberg. <laughs> the GOAT. So, uh, yeah, so I uh, appreciate it, guys. Um, so if somebody wants to follow me, they can look. If you Google me, you'll see all my shit, But um, you can go to fa- uh, Instagram at Rosenberg Steve. It's R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G Steve. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Steve Rosenberg. Uh, you can also go to my website if you want, steverosenberg.com. Um, again, you know, if everyone knows if they reach out to me, I'm very accessible. I like helping people. That's something that I told myself that if I could ever give back, I would. Um, so most people that reach out to me, I almost always will get back to you. So if you have a question, you know, I'm happy to help. Um, you know, again, free free whiskey is better. Uh, it, it, it definitely sweetens the pot. But uh, yeah. Uh, again, uh, if I can help you and I can do something, then I'm happy, man. I don't, I don't need to charge you something. I don't need to be monetary. Um, I, you know, I do coaching and mentoring, but you know, it's not for everybody, right? I mean, but it's all about what fits right for you. And if following me online or doing something like that does that and that floats the boat, then hey, rock on, man. But I'm, I'm here. And if you want to see some cool places that I travel to and fly, like I'm in Santiago now, follow me on social media. You'll see some cool. I love it. I love it, man. Seriously, thank you for your time. I know that you're a super busy guy. Um, real quick, I, I do want people to know you do have a course coming out. Um, I do. Tell us, tell us yeah. thirty seconds. We'll close this out. What is that about? Because I'm, I'm actually excited about this, and I'm going to be honest. I'm a no BS type of guy. I'm big on calling people out. Diego hates me for that sometimes, but I've actually got to see the inside of your, uh, 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 of, uh, of your course, and I'm like, holy crap, that that's got a lot there. Uh, real quick, 30 seconds. What's that about? And sorry if I called you out on it. We can cut this out if you need to. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Yeah, no. So the, the course is it's showing people on the mental side of how to get your why. And it's how does somebody go from just zero to one, right? We see all these people talking about these big deal syndications. How do you just get one deal, right? Let's talk about how you have to think differently to get that one deal. And then once you get the one deal, how do you get to five? And how do you have to think differently than you did? You know, the, the stuff you told yourself on deal one is much different than you tell yourself on deal five. Then how do you get to 10? Then how do you get to 20? Then how do you learn about other things? So how do you, how do you get your children involved? So I created a course. It's, it's on Lightspeed. Um, the website for it is stevesmindset.com, stevesmindset.com. Um, but if you go there, it's, it's an educational course that's constantly, this is Hollywood production style filming, a lot of money invested in this. I'm constantly adding to it. Um, but it's really just how to understand to be that better investor, to think differently. And so I teach you how to be that successful investor in your head first before you go out and spend your money and lose things and have this drama. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's really about understanding your why. Um, and I'm constantly, I'm going back into the studio again next month, filming again, it's constantly added to. So if you go to my website, stevesmindset.com, um, and, and thank you, I appreciate it. It's, it's, been, it's been something of a, a, a way that I can kind of, 
duplicate myself over and over again um, forever, really, is, is the, the reason I did it. Yeah, I think that I think that's great. I'm excited for it to come out. When do you have a launch date for that yet? It's launched. It's actually oh, launched. Yeah, it's, it's launched. Um, it's it's out there, um, and it's it's been getting great reviews. People love it. It's been great content. Um, I just you know I, I whenever I go speak. Last week I was in Miami. I spoke alongside Ed Milet and Brad Lee. Um, so I, I get to speak with some very large names, and I take the information I get from them, and I go make content. So I, I'm getting a lot of information from higher up people that I want to be like. I get their information and then I go learn. So I, I really try my best to to pay it forward as much as possible. But it has launched. It's live. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that people get with it. But if you go to the website, you can check it out. And um, if it fits for you, then I would say it's worth signing up. I give a 30 back money day guarantee. So if you don't like it, I'll give you all your money back and you can go on about your way. So there's no obligation. It's risk free. If you like it, you like it. If it's not for you, I get it. No problem. I love that. I love that. That's That's super transparent. So I love that. Steve, again, thank you for your time, bro. Go enjoy uh, wherever at in the world you are right now. Go go put some pictures on Instagram so everyone can follow you. Um, thanks. Seriously, thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.